episode 52 of the Energy Edge podcast. This is Mridhu Parikh of Life is Organized. And if you're interested in finding energy in your life, then the Energy Edge podcast is for you. And I highly recommend it. Welcome to the Energy Edge podcast, where we believe if you desire to get the absolute most out of your work and life, then finding your energy edge is a must. The Energy Edge podcast will help you learn to leverage your everyday major activities into an energy advantage so you can work and live at an optimal level. So let's begin. Welcome to the Energy Edge podcast. I'm your host, Brian Paul Buckley. And as you may have figured out, if you listen to the show for any length of time, the even-numbered episodes are reserved for interviews of subject matter experts and those who have created what we call an energy edge in their business and in their life. And I've been fascinated by those who have excelled while on business travel since, well, I'm a road warrior myself. Having an energy edge is hard enough with a predictable routine. But being on the road, no matter if you're in sales, a professional speaker, an entrepreneur, or an executive, well, it's a challenge. So in a moment, we'll be joined by Tom Singer, who fits and excels with this very challenge. And it's go time. Our interview guest has an eclectic background working in sales, marketing, and business development roles for Fortune 500 companies law firms, and entrepreneurial ventures. Tom Singer is a professional master of ceremonies, motivational keynote speaker, and the author of 12 books on the power of business developments, networking, entrepreneurship, legal marketing, and presentation skills, while also serving as the host of the popular Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. He regularly speaks at businesses and association conferences around the United States and beyond, and is presented to over 600 audiences during his career as a speaker. He lives in the amazing city of Austin, Texas, where he and his wife are the parents of two highly spirited daughters. Well, Tom, welcome to the Energy Edge podcast. Thrilled you are here with me today. Hey, thanks for having me. So you are located in Austin, Texas. How long have you been in Austin? Uh, I moved here 26 years ago with the intent of staying two or three years. So you bought two or three and you got 24 left, huh? Yeah, well, you know what happened was is that uh, we moved to Austin and everybody said, where is that? And then about two years into being here back in the early 90s, Austin became one of the hottest towns in the country. And for 20 some odd years, it's been a boom town. And so I always say I grew up with the Austin business community. Good way to put it. And a great food town. I was so impressed being there as a food town. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, you can eat Mexican food, you can eat barbecue, but we then have everything else you can imagine. Big fusion town. There's a lot of food. Uh, We're one of the central people who started the whole food truck thing. All the cities argue about who was first, but Austin was right up there. And, you know, you can eat your way through Austin any time of day or night. Great way to put it. So how long have you been a professional speaker? So eight and a half years as my full-time job, I had my toe in the water for about three or three to five years before that. But uh, I learned that, you know, it's a hard business to actually get into if you're doing it, if you're dabbling. And so when I went in full-time was when it really started to to actually take hold. And you were in the corporate world before that and then transitioned into throwing the whole body, not just the toe, into the speaking business. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I was uh, the marketing director for a couple of law firms, a bank, a consulting firm. And then on April 1st, 2009, the consulting firm I worked for had a huge layoff, as did so many people in 2009. And uh, she laid off about half the company. Now, to her credit, she saved the company. It's bigger than it's ever been now. But I got caught up in a layoff. And and the the, uh, irony of being laid off on April 1st has never been lost on me. But the flip side of that is that was the bottom of the recession. And there was never, you know, there was no jobs available. And so I had to go chase this dream of being a speaker because it was really the only thing that was available. So what topic wise, Tom, then if obviously you dabbled a little bit, did your topic change from when you were dabbling to when you were, well, forced in on, on April Fool's Day? Well, so previous to uh, my doing this full time, many years earlier, I had been laid off several times. Austin's business economy has gone up and down and up and down over the past 25, 26 years. And every time I got laid off, I had a new job within three weeks and and usually at higher money and a little more prestige. And after this happened three times, people around town started saying, wait a minute, you're the only person I know who gets laid off up. How does that happen to nice. you? And so I just started getting asked to speak at Rotary Clubs and, and Young Men's Business League and other groups just about why your network matters and how it becomes sort of your safety net. So I was already speaking on, on sort of the topic of, of your network and your brand. But when I decided I was going to go be a speaker full time, people told me, oh, you know, people from the National Speakers Association and other speakers were like, oh, you can't speak about networking. That's a fluffy topic. Uh, too many people do it. Nobody will ever pay you for it. But what I did is I sort of created my my own little path. I sort of reinvented the topic and I don't call it networking. I always called it sort of human engagement. But then I created this thing where I became the conference catalyst. I spoke at a conference and halfway through the keynote, I would turn the whole idea of why connecting with people matters around on the audience. And I would say, let's use this conference as a human laboratory for the next three days. And here's things you can do to maximize being here and make better connections. Because everybody knows. Great idea, Tom. Great idea. And everybody knows people go to conferences to network. So I spun it around and then in the, or in the 90s there, or in the, uh, 2009, all the conferences wanted that topic. They wanted their conference to be a networking hub because people needed jobs. And so I just sort of positioned myself into this sort of the right way. And way to take lemons and make them lemonade during that period of time. So that's absolutely awesome. How many days a year do you speak now? So I, my normal goal, my business plan from the beginning has been over 50, 50 to 60 speeches, individual speeches a year. Now that could be one conference, could be two. I could do a keynote and a breakout, but 50 different speeches a year or more. And then uh, I have done as few as like 55 over the past eight years and as many as maybe 72 or 73. But in 2017, I'm already at 52. So this will probably be my biggest year. I'll probably get around 80 speeches. Uh, And that takes me on the road about 100 to 120 nights uh, out of the year. So which is what I want to dive into, but I want to, you've got a caveat here. You also MC events. Is that correct? Yeah, so I have a, a niche. What happened to me was is this conference catalyst thing was was really popular with associations back around 2009, 2010, and with companies who did like users conferences, so bringing all their customers together. And I had a CEO of a tech company say to me, Tom, that was, I mean, you transformed the way people behaved at the conference. I've never seen this before. I have to have you back, but I can't have the same keynoter next year. Could you be my master of ceremonies? And so what I've done is I've taken my conference catalyst program and I've chopped it up 
up into like seven to 10 minute uh, vignettes, if you will, little nuggets. And so I can drop the same content without doing it in a speech. And I've been doing that for about, I don't know, probably about six years. And I've learned a lot that being an MC is not the same as being a speaker. And so it's, it is really like an entirely different skill set that I had to learn because when you're the, when you're the keynote speaker, you're a little bit of the star, you get to be up there, you know, do whatever you want. When you're the MC, you're really the guide for the audience to make sure facilitate their experience and and the way you approach it just has to be so different and I, I wasn't that way to begin with it's been a, a huge evolution for me but yeah so I, I am see about I don't know maybe about seven events of that you know 60 or 80 things that I'll do this year seven to ten of them will be pure MC gigs and then I do some hybrid where I'm the opening keynoter and then I stay and MC the rest of the three days so let's unpack that just a little bit that's very very interesting to me and how I want to unpack it is obviously the whole concept here Tom, is we're talking about energy and somebody who travels for a living, they're a business traveler, aka a road warrior. It requires a certain level of energy. So what was the difference in energy of emceeing versus the energy you needed on stage to be a keynote? It's like I always tell people that if 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 you if you're doing a keynote, you have to put a lot of energy into it because you're setting the tone for that conference. And and if you're a high energy speaker like I am, you're you're big when you're on stage. Being the MC can be five to 10 times more than that because it depends the way the conference is set up. Some of them just have a general session every morning. Some of them have general sessions in the morning and the afternoon. So it kind of depends how it's set up, but you're on the whole time. And it's not just when you're on stage because maybe as the MC, they'll have you do a breakout too. But then when you're in the hallways, part of what I do is I, I, promise them I'll be at every coffee break. I'll be at the breakfast. I'll be at lunch. I'll be at dinner. If they do an offsite party, I'll just be there participating with the crowd. If I hang out in the bar at night, I'm the host of the conference. I have to have a big smile on my face. And, you know, if somebody comes up and asks about something about the conference, I have to know what's going on. So I have to be very involved uh, in, in that. I typically have to be at all the rehearsals for all the other keynoters so that we can do the blocking and and rehearse the introduction and what they want from me. And, and the other thing is as the MC and this this is something a lot of people don't think about. You have to have a heart-to-heart talk with every speaker at some point before they go on about timing because one of the worst things, and it happens all the time, is keynote speakers think, oh, they're loving me. I'll just go long. Well, you're stealing from somebody. And so I have to have really heart-to-heart conversations with them either on the phone a week in advance or you know at their dress rehearsal that uh, you can't go long. I mean, you, you know, you've been given 45 minutes. At 46 minutes, I'm going to be walking on stage. And a lot of them get it. And they're cool. And they like the reminder. I had one woman say to me, no, no, I'm known for going about 20 minutes long. And audiences love it. So I got the meeting planner involved. And the wow. meeting planner went to her and said, uh, Tom said that you said that. No way. And Tom will be on stage one minute after your time. And the woman got very mad that I went and tattled on her. And she was horrible to me. And as I came out, sure sure enough, she started to go long. And as I walked out, she wrapped it up. And then she looks at the audience and goes, I have an idea. I bet you all want to do Q&A. It was very passive aggressive. She goes, I bet you all want to do Q&A and hear more about this. Is that okay, Tom? And I was like, no. And then it was awkward. I had to keep the energy (laughs) going Yeah. And, and I had to turn it around where I didn't look like the bad guy and she and didn't make her, I didn't want to throw her under the bus in front of the audience. So you have to be on and that takes a lot of energy. And then later that night in the bar, people want to know what happened? What was the backstory? And you, you can't just tell them, you can't throw that speaker under the bus. So you got to be on and you never can be caught off guard. So being the MC, you had better have, you know, 72 hours worth of energy ready to go. Yeah, no doubt. So when you first started out, and that's a, and a great story on that, Tom. So when you first started out on the road, 
what, what did you find required the most energy for you? And how did you handle all of a sudden being in this new world that so you just think, wow, I'm in a new city, all these things going on and just having no idea the amount of energy it was going to take? So I, I was a sales and marketing guy for, you know, two decades before that. So you'd have to go to sales conferences for the company that you worked for, or you'd have to go to another office to to meet with the people. And so, you know, I would travel not nearly that much, but I would travel, you know, 10% of the time, 15% of the time, just in the norm, go visiting clients if I had a big territory. And I had young kids. And I will tell you, the hardest part of the whole thing was balancing that because that meant my wife had to be on the whole time. And my oldest daughter was kind of a daddy's girl. So if I was gone, she wanted to me there. And so there was just all kinds of pieces of that. Now, as my career really started to take off in the last couple of years, you know, my kids are teenagers. Now the oldest one has lived away for two years at college. She doesn't know where I am or, or care. And we text all the time, but she doesn't care what city I'm in. And my 15 year old is, is a typical 15 year old. She's brilliant. She's smart. She's beautiful, but she wants to talk to her friends on Skype and watch Netflix. So she doesn't know if I'm around or not. So it's, uh, it's not as hard on the home front. And I tell people, all the time. I was consulting with someone who's launching a speaking career who has twin two-year-olds. And I, I literally told him, I, I don't know the answer. I, I don't know how you travel 150 nights a year when you have, you know, two-year-olds. I just, I don't, I don't know that. But I do know that even with the little bit of traveling I did, you've got to really balance that. So that was always the hardest part to begin with. Now, I've kind of gotten in the routine of it. And so, I, you know, to answer your question, early on, it was not staying up too late. It was not drinking too much. It was not eating bad foods. I mean, you're at a conference, they're always serving you muffins and ice cream and candy bars and cookies. It was really learning that I had to control all my impulses for the, the intake of food and make sure I was getting enough sleep and, and watch how many glasses of wine I had because it can sap your energy. And if you don't sleep two or three nights, you know, you're, you're, you're dead to the world and then it's hard. And that's a great point because obviously when you get into those environments, you know, you have the ability sometimes to eat the king's food and, and all the king's wine and you don't want to be offensive or at least that's what I've always told myself. And most of the time people don't care at all. And, you know... So, uh, so funny side thing. So for Lent every year, I grew up Catholic and, and for Lent, I always do something militant. And one year I went vegan and it started, you know, it was the start of, of Lent and I was on the road and I was at a banquet and I had a special little card that the meeting planner had given me that said vegan that I was supposed to show to the waiter. And the waiter came by and they were serving things and I showed him the card. He goes, oh, vegetarian. And I looked at him and I pointed, I said, no, vegan. And he looks and goes, oh my God. And he runs off. And one of the people at the table looks and goes, you did say vegan and not Al-Qaeda, right? I mean, because the guy freaked out and went running off. He goes, you know, you did say vegan, right? And they came back for, and they gave me two pieces of asparagus on a little bed of rice. And so uh, that was hard. If you have any special dietary things and you're traveling on the road, it can be like almost impossible. That's a great story. That is, that is really, really funny. We'll be right back for the remainder of the interview with Tom Singer after this short break. Most of us are just plain tired. Our pace far outruns our energy, yet we just keep going. We quickly move from busy to beat down to burnout. And sometimes we pull this off by the end of the same day. And it's only Monday. What we need is a reminder there's another way. A kickstart to get us thinking and get us going in the right direction. 5-Minute EnergyKickstart.com offers three 5-Minute videos on the topics of sleep, nutrition, 
and fitness movement where a problem is discussed and two energy kickstart challenges are offered. Why? Because we all need a kickstart from time to time. The best part about it is the only thing it'll cost you is a few minutes of your time because the video series is absolutely free. So check out 5MinuteEnergyKickstart.com today. Hi, this is Terry Crawley, co-author of Sleeping Your Way to the Top. And here is your sleep energy boost for today. Keeping a consistent sleep schedule is ideal. In fact, going to sleep and waking up at approximately the same time every day is as important as the number of hours of sleep. Researchers at Brigham and Women's Hospital tracked the sleeping patterns of 61 Harvard students for 30 days. Those students who went to bed and woke up at the same time each day performed better academically than those who had inconsistent sleep schedules. So when you're on the road, is there any certain thing by nature that hijacks your energy by default? Maybe it's a certain wiring, a certain pretense that you're just like, you know what, man, I've, I've really got to overcome this or I got to just compensate with it. So my occupational hazard is I don't sleep well the first night or maybe two nights in a hotel. After I'm in a hotel two or three nights, I'm fine. But the first couple of nights I wake up repetitively and I call that a huge occupational hazard because, you know, I'm at 50 events a year. So there's 50 first nights in a, you know, or more in a hotel room. So I have to be very cautious that first night of, of going to bed early, of, you know, really watching that I don't eat too late, anything that could possibly keep me awake. And so, yeah, so that's, that's a, a big problem for me is just making sure that I can get my sleep patterns to stay as close to normal as possible. Fortunately, I live in the central time zone. So no matter which way I go, I'm never more than an hour or two off. Yeah, I found that to be helpful myself with being Chicago-based. It makes a big difference, one or two hours. I've got a friend of mine, Michael Hudson, who's East Coast, and he just always stays on East Coast time, even when he's West Coast. And you have to do whatever trick to the trade that allows you to be at your best or be on your game. So what's at stake for you, Tom, or at risk if you're not at a high energy level doing what you do? So, like I said, when you're emceeing or, or if you're even involved in multi-days because you're doing an opening keynote and maybe a breakout, the, the biggest thing that's at stake for me is if I get exhausted when I get home, I'm then dead to the world and it's the, it's the long recovery to everybody ar- around the house. So, I get home and, you know, I still have meetings with clients. I, I do some, you know, consulting and coaching with some local people. So, I'm going to have meetings. People want to, you know, meet me for coffee just because we're friends or they want to find out about the speaking business or they're going to write a book. So, I, I get back, I still have activities and full days worth of things going on. And if I get wiped out on the road, I mean, it, the recovery can be horrible. And then it's not fair to my wife or, or to my kids or anything else. So that's, that's really the hardest part. Sure. So let's unpack that for a minute because I call that trip lag, you know, instead of just jet lag is because of the entire time. So how do you or how have you through the years started to pull that back so it is not as bad of a trip lag that everybody else suffers because, you know, we didn't pay attention to our energy on the road like we needed to and our family suffers? So Brian, you know, I didn't know I had a big problem with this. I didn't know I had an energy problem and I've been doing this almost a decade, but 18 months ago, I sort of changed my lifestyle and the the thing behind that was it was Lent and I didn't know what I was going to do in 2016 and I, at the last minute, I was going to go vegan again because it had been like five years since I did that. I read an article about processed sugar and wheat 
being sort of the enemy to en- en- energy. And I don't know where the article was. Maybe it was in an airplane magazine or something like that. But I read this article and I, I ate a lot of sweets and I eat a lot of bread. And so wheat and sh- processed sugars seem to be like a food group. And I thought, you know what? That's kind of militant. I wonder if you can do that. So I cut out wheat and processed sugar and I mentioned it on Facebook and somebody said, wait a minute, allow yourself 15 grams of processed sugar a day because you can't avoid it. And so I allowed 15 grams if it came in a bottle, a box, a can, or a bag. And as it turns out, most things that are sold have more than 15 grams. So it really limited what I could eat other than fresh foods. And in that, what is lent 40 days, in that time, A, I lost 10 pounds, and B, I really started to feel differently when it came to my energy. And so I thought, well, gosh, I can't go back to wheat and sugar. And the wheat is everywhere and the sugar is everywhere, but I'd found a way to do it. And then the flip side of that was right around Easter that year, my then 19-year-old daughter uh, said to me that she wanted to... um, she wanted to run a half marathon and asked if I would uh, train with her. And so I never had run a mile in my life. And I started running and I got up to being able to run like two miles without crying. And I said to her, I, when she got home for Christmas, for summer break, I said, I can do this. And she goes, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. Of course. And, and my wife said, well, why, why don't you still keep it up? Why don't you still try to, uh, to, to do that? So I, I ran a half marathon in early 2017 and I had lost another 20 plus pounds along the way. So what the big change for me has been is I don't eat very much processed sugar or wheat. I do cheat now, but I'm very cautious to make decisions that don't go that direction. And then I run about 12 to 15 miles a week uh, in three to five mile bursts, four days a week. Um, and, and so that's really what has changed for me. So somebody who's carrying that extra 30 pounds around their waist, which obviously you had done for almost a decade here being in, in the speaking world, what difference, okay, then what difference has that made for you, Tom, for your energy level now that you are where you are? I didn't even know I had a problem with energy. I mean, I seemed fine, I guess, but it has really transformed a lot of the way I bounce back when I'm on the road, when I've been burned out. I fit in a run in the mornings while I'm, I'm traveling. I go run around a lake or if I'm in Chicago or along the river if I'm in Boston and I get to see more of the towns. I, I get to do that. And, you know, it, it, after a five-mile run, I don't feel exhausted. I feel just the opposite. I feel, I feel good. Uh, I had a, a meeting with a guy who I do mentoring with last night for dinner and yesterday afternoon I was wiped out. So I I went to the gym. I just ran a mile and I lifted weights for a little bit and went to dinner at six o'clock and I felt great. So just even a little workout just sort of perked me back up. And so I found that by controlling the foods and getting exercise, it has really transformed everything. And like I said, I didn't know I had a problem. And I love, love, love that quote because I think that's most people until they start to unpack that and realize, wow, this makes a huge, huge difference on your energy level on the road, which allows you to be just at your best. You're more productive. You feel more energized. And to your point, you're able to come back home and give to your family and to your clients quicker and hopefully even even better. So I'm going to go back to one thing that you said, which which most people are are. Well, let's just say they use the excuse. Well, it's so hard to eat healthy on the road. And you chose to go militant on Lint. So Lint, I don't know. But anyway, you found a way, didn't you? You found a way to do it. And you've continued to do that with just minor cheats as opposed to being the rule and the exception. You've actually made the exception of the rule. How have you been able to do that and why? 
So it's been very interesting in the fact that, uh, you know, giving up the wheat is easy because there's so many gluten-free options now. I mean, when I went, when I went uh, vegan five years ago, six years ago, it was really hard. There wasn't a lot of options. Now the world has changed and conferences are ready for it. So I just ask for the gluten-free meal most of the time. And it's not two pieces of asparagus. It's usually a full meal that just doesn't have anything with wheat in it. I don't worry if something's breaded. I'm not like militant about no wheat and things like that, but you can ask for the gluten option. And what it does, is that if you just make the choices and also they preset dessert. I used to eat the dessert before the meal. Now I'll just have a bite of the dessert and unless it's great, I won't have any more. And the truth is how often is hotel food great? Not very often. So I just, I have just learned to change the way I deal with it. And it's totally something you can do nowadays if you're traveling a lot. And for you, Tom, I mean, obviously it is worth it. So what would you advise to, for someone who is traveling for a living and the amount of energy, maybe they said, oh, I don't have a problem with my energy. What would you advise them? Well, I think the first thing is, is that if you're carrying around 30 pounds like I was, you may not even know that you have that type of a problem. And the, the question is just ask yourself, can I do it? And by setting a period of time, like I did it with Lent, try to give yourself two months. For two months, I'm not going to eat sugar and wheat and I'm going to exercise a little bit more. And at the end of the two months, if you don't feel like it's helped and your energy was fine, you can go back to doing what you were doing. But I had no idea what a difference that little bit of weight coupled with the exercise would make in my life. And I'll tell you, I'm a guy, my friends laugh when they see me posting pictures after a five mile run because I was never someone who exercised or ran. You know, I would rather eat pizza and drink beer than go out for a run. But eventually that sort of caught up with me. Well, especially the older we get. So Tom, I absolutely love that you say that. And I have clients as well with coaching business travelers who are like, ah, you know, and there may be a few tweaks that I can do. It's amazing a month or two in how much they learn, how much better they felt, but they, they accepted the challenge. And I love that you're challenging us. Give it a month, give it two months, put a hook with it and find out what you can get out of that. So I have a friend who he, he travels a lot and he's got a young child and, and he's carrying, I don't know how much, but he's, he's heavier set. And he always is asking, hey, road warriors, how can I lose weight? And like, we're close buddies. I think the world of him, he's one of my favorite people on the planet. And I'll text him and say, give up sugar and wheat. And he goes, oh, I'm not willing to do that. But then he'll post the question a month later, does anybody have any ideas? And I'm like, dude, I just did this in the last year. And he goes, oh, well, that's too hard. Well, it's, it's totally doable. And the other thing was, is that I didn't give up all joy. I just gave up sugar and wheat. So like I could eat fruit, that's sweet. I could eat, you know, uh, all kinds of things. And it was, it was okay. And, and I still, I didn't give up all carbs. I ate oats, like I like carbs. And so I'd eat oatmeal if I was hungry. And then that's good advice. And I think at the end of it too, as you've experienced, some people, they just don't want to. It's, I call them the uh, YBGs, the yeah, but guys. And, you know, they're just always going to give a defense with it. But uh, man, for those of us that take this challenge, it's amazing. Any closing thoughts you have for us, Tom? You know, I think the, the, the trick is to having energy when you're on the road is you have to make choices. I tell my kids all the time that everything in life is about making choices. And would I rather drink the whole bottle of wine? Of course I would. But I have to be on stage at eight o'clock the next morning saying, hey, good morning and welcome back. And I have to recap the night before. And therefore, I just have a strict limit that I will not have more than two drinks, no matter what the situation is. And people are like, yeah, but the party's four hours long. You could have a drink an hour. No, I really can't because I have to have 100%. And they're paying me 
to be 100%. So I just have my own personal limits. Like I said, one bite of dessert. Uh, if they serve cookies at the break, I break a third of the cookie off. And, you know, if somebody sees me do it, they're like, you're leaving two thirds of the cookie. And I'm like, you know, if you eat a third, there's no calories. And nice. it's just my way of not having the whole cookie. Love it. Absolutely love it. Tom, how can people find out more about you if they're interested in your services, learning from you? Where should we go? Uh, so you can find me at Tom Singer. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. Uh, also, if they want to find out about my group coaching program, the Potential Mastermind Project, it's at PotentialMastermind.com. Uh, between those two things, they can find out everything they want about me. Well, Tom, I want to thank you for your time. I absolutely am feeding off your energy. I have learned a ton and I hope that uh, the listeners have done the same thing and we walk away learning that there are choices we can make that dramatically affect our energy. So thank you for your time. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for making it to this point in the podcast. I hope this interview challenged and encouraged you to have an energy edge. And as always, I'm going to try and do better next time. Go and get your energy edge on today.